Thank you again, guys, for everything, and ladies. Okay, so let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, lift them high. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've been in a series called Making Room for the More of God. And we started this series on our anniversary Sunday, uh, being 12 years old. And we said over the last few weeks, the big idea is this, it should be on the screen, and that's we need to prepare now for what God has prepared us for. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, which means this. You're not here by accident. You're in the right place at the right time, prepared to do what God created you for. So God wants to enlarge you. Our, our responsibility then is to prepare to be enlarged so we can do what God created us for. On the screen, we should also remind you of this, that God has more for us than we can imagine or ask. That's from Ephesians 3.20. And when we make room for the more of God, he fills the space. Our theme verses for this series has been Isaiah 54, 1 through 4. Uh, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and I think only 2 through 4 on the screen. So here we go. Verse 1, sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. So this verse is telling us that in the last days, and by the way, this same verse and some of these verses are in Galatians where Paul prophesies these same scriptures to the Galatian church, which means it's for the New Testament church, that we're going to have more come in than we ever imagined or think. So it says this, verse 2, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. So Paul's prophesying again these same verses to us that the church of the New Testament will have to enlarge itself, will have to make itself bigger so that it can handle all the unsaved people that are going to come in. Now, I've asked this question over the last couple of weeks. I want to ask it again. How many of you like camping? How many don't like camping? I'm in your camp, all right? So uh, when, I, when I ask that, I, I just want you to know, like I've said over the last couple of weeks, I grew up, we grew up camping all the time, but never staying in one place very long because we were always trying to get to a destination. But we camped 
because it was a cheaper than it was cheaper than even Motel Six. Our dad started Pinky and I camping at an early age. At his suggestion, when we were about nine and ten, he, he, we helped him set up a tent in our backyard. How many? Uh, how many learned to camp in the backyard before you ever went camping? My dad would say, "Real men camp." So we were out there setting up this thing, and and this is the main reason why I really dislike camping today. All right. So we have we have this tent set up. Our sleeping bags are in the tent, and we have a flashlight somewhere, but no one can find it. It's dark, and after messing around outside with a fire in the burn barrel, we decided to get into our sleeping bags probably around 11 p.m. And so Pinky gets in his bag, and our friend Bob Dittman gets in his bag, and then I get in my bag. And as I'm getting settled in, I feel something move inside my bag. And before I know it, there's something hairy on my feet. I start screaming like a girl, there's a rat in my bag. And then I jumped out, uh, out of my bag, and I ran outside and got on top of the picnic table. Well, Bob and Pinky, they started laughing, but they made their way out of the tent too, and they were on the picnic table with me. So I told them, listen, if you guys will go back in the tent, get the rat out of my bag, we can all go back in and go to sleep. To which they said, well, maybe the rat's already out of your bag, and it's run around inside the tent. And so we sat outside on this picnic table and froze all night. We were too scared to go back in the tent, and we were too proud to go in the house to let our dad know we were wussies. So we just, you know, finally, finally when daylight broke, I went in the tent. And sure enough, there was still a lump at the end of my bag, a big lump. And, and I pulled my sleeping bag out, turned it upside down, started shaking it. And sure enough, this big, black, huge rat dropped out of my sleeping bag, but it looked just like my sister's cat. My sister had a black cat. And then we realized we stayed out there all night in the freezing cold because we were afraid of what, our, we, of what we thought was in our tent, which was not a rat. It was a cat. Now listen to this. Fear of what we perceive is in our tent can keep us from using our tents for what they were created for. And I want you to hear that this morning. That fear kept me, my brother, and our friend out of our tent. We believed a lie about our tent. You and I were meant to live in a place of enlargement, and God's presence uh, in our lives is what creates that. We were created to expand the place of our dwelling but what happens to a lot of us because of something negative that happens, a negative experience, we stay small and end up on a picnic table uh, like we did that night. Now, we talked about this, about we all have a, a little tent that we start out with. Now, if I can, there we go. Can you see that little guy in there? Probably not, but there's a shadow there of a little guy. And what happens is we all start out small, and that's not wrong. So we all come in different size tents, all of that. But God never meant for you to stay in the same size tent. He wants to enlarge us and stretch us. He wants to increase your testimony. He wants to increase your business. He wants to increase your spiritual capacity. So last week we talked about how, how this plays into the bigger uh, picture and into the bigger community. So God wants to move us from this to 
uh, this. And uh, how many know this is better than this? This is better than this because there's more room for things to get in there. And then we said, not only does it move from that uh, to, to us getting enlarged, but last week we talked about the church in the wilderness or the church in the, in the, uh, the community. So as we talk about that, we use the Old Testament example of this temple or this tabernacle called the Tabernacle of Moses. And in this tabernacle was a, a, a pillar that was a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now, let me just say this. Everyone who saw this tent that was an enemy of God knew that God was with them. But there's something you need to know. It's not what was outside the tent that was so important as much as what was inside the tent. And today I want to talk to you about what was inside the tent for a few moments. And as we do, I want you to know that as you come to know Jesus, you can get busy. You can start taking things for granted, and you can start realizing that I just come in and do my thing. And what happened to Israel is inside this tent was called an ark, and it was called the ark of his presence or the ark of the covenant. So maybe we can show a picture of that up there, the ark of, yeah. So that, that's what it looked like. And it was just in, in Exodus 25, it tells us what that ark looked like. And so the ark was a box made of wood, but overlaid in gold. And inside there was the Ten Commandments, uh, the manna from the wilderness, and the rod of Aaron that budded, which represented God's miracles and his presence in their lives along the way. But on top, you can see these cherubims, and in the middle was what they called the mercy seat, which represented the high priest coming in every year and presenting the blood of a pure lamb on that. And so that was inside the tent, and it represented God's presence with Israel all year round, wherever they went. So the, the nation of Israel was nothing without this. It was the, God's presence that made all the difference in their lives. Now, what happened is this ark, somewhere along the line, in this tabernacle of Moses, it was stolen, taken by the enemy, uh, by the Philistines. Then it was because God beat up on their gods. They didn't want the tabernacle or the ark anymore, so they sent it back to Israel, and it stayed out of the tabernacle of Moses for almost 40 to 50 years, from the time of the death of Eli, the priest, to the time of David, the king. The ark was no longer in the tabernacle of Moses. Here's what I want you to see. They went through all the same rituals, all the same routines, but God wasn't there. It's easy to play church and miss God's presence. And so what happened to Israel... They were still doing church, but God's presence wasn't there. No more fire, no more cloud, no more ark. Well, David, when he becomes king, he says, I, I want to I, I bring God back. I want to bring his presence back into Israel. And I, as I thought about our church, how David wanted to bring back the ark, when we started our church, we started in that little house of the lanes, or not a little house, but a nice house of the lanes, but it was it was started through prayer, and it was started through worship. And, and uh, as I was thinking about it, 
I was remembering our first service in here. We started with a bar band. And maybe some of you don't know that, but some of the guys that we had uh, were, were musicians that played in bars on Saturday night. They weren't drinking. They weren't doing anything bad. They just they liked to play their instruments, so they played in bands on Saturday night and came to church here on Sunday. I am so grateful for our bar band. Come on. They're the ones who said, Pastor Doug, we'll help you. Some of them were trained, some of them weren't, but they came and they made it. Now listen, you need to be grateful for the bar band because if we hadn't had a bar band, I would have been your worship leader. That would not have been good. So they, they, here's what I want to say. The tent of David had to do with a place of worship. So David, he wants to bring back the ark of God, but he has to prepare a place for it to fit. And so what happens, instead of going back to the tabernacle of Moses, he decides to make his own tent. And it's like, it was like this tent right over here. This tent, you guys are fortunate today because originally I had put it over you. And everybody told me, don't put the tent over the people. Put it to the side so they can see the screen. But the idea is, so if I can show you a picture of the tabernacle of David or the tent of David with the ark. Now, it kind of looked like that. Probably had more open sides. And the reason I say that, maybe it had a back that was a back flap, but probably open on the sides as well. And the reason I tell you that is that David wrote Psalm 91. He said, in the shadow of the wings of God, he, he worshiped. So in the shadow of his wings. So probably he couldn't touch the ark. Nobody could touch the ark with the high priest. But you could go near it and probably a shadow was cast when the sun hit in the right direction. And David wrote that psalm while he was worshiping in the shadow of the wings that came from, from the ark. Now, the, the tent of David had to do with a place of worship. In fact, it's the first time in Scripture that we see open worship before God in God's presence. There's not all these rituals to go through. There's open worship where there's Levites, the priests are there, but people are coming and giving their, their sacrifices. It's where the old it's where the, the Old Testament church, where the, the songbook becomes the Psalms. The Psalms are the songbook of the first church. And the Psalms became the first songbook in the New Testament. Now, what made this tent so special, again, was what was on the inside of it, but also what was visible for everyone to see on the outside. So um, as we go through this, I want you to hear that or see today that David... This is what he did to prepare for the ark. In 1 Chronicles 16, 1, it says this. They brought the ark of God, placed it, in, placed it inside the special tent. I want you to hear that, special tent. You need to know you are a special tent, all right? Placed it inside the special tent. David had prepared for it. So we need to prepare our tents and then God's presence gets placed inside. And they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. So we see then, again, going back to the tent of the tabernacle of Moses or David, we see that this tent and what made it different was the ark was inside. And as they're inside, as the ark of God is inside this tent, they're lifting their hands, they're singing, they're worshiping, they're dancing, and they're having open worship all the time, 24-7 before God. And so David prepares his tent, 
And then he lets the presence of God come through the ark. And then it tells us in verses 4 through 6, David appointed the following Levites, priests, to lead the people in worship before the ark of God, to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, to, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals. And you hear those every Sunday. They played the harps and lyres, a form of guitar or another harp. The priests, uh, Benadiah and Jehaziel, played the trumpets regularly before the ark of God's, co- uh, of God's uh, covenant. And uh, I don't know about you, but I would love to have trumpets here, wouldn't you? That'd be so stinking loud, Pastor. No, we'll get the electric ones where you can turn them down a little bit. All right. But I would love to have trumpets and trombonists, and I would love to have violinists. I'd love to have a full orchestra. I, I just think it'd be great because I think that's what heaven's like. I think it's more than just our little bands. I think it's full orchestras and trumpets and all those kind of things. Now, what, what, to me, when I read that, doesn't that sound like our worship teams today? It's skilled musicians of worship teams, singers who are assigned to lead the people in worship openly before the Lord. It sounds like our own worship teams. And in verses 8 through 36, David gave a song of thanksgiving that he wrote to musicians, and he sang it openly in front of all the people to hear. Now, I've thought about doing that for you guys. I thought about singing a song for you today of thanksgiving, and then uh, my wife said that would not be a good idea. So uh, I wouldn't have done it anyway. But I am thinking about, so you can be grateful that I am not a worship leader. Maybe in February around Valentine's Day, I'll bring back the song I wrote for Lois many years ago called Oh Lois. You will love that song. And when I get done singing it, you will never forget it. In fact, you'll be walking out of here singing that song because it just sticks with you. All right. Now, so we have a picture of God's presence coming home to where it belongs. And we see demonstrable uh, worship taking place with singing and raising of hands and clapping and dancing and raising their voices and shouting, all those kind of things. And we see skillful musicians put in place. Aren't you glad for skillful musicians and skillful singers? Some of you think you have the gift of singing, but you don't. You belong in my camp, all right? So what does this have to do with us today? Well, you need to know that of all the tents that we've talked about, this is the tent, the tent of David, is the one that God said he would restore before Jesus returns. Look at some of these prophetic promises that we have today about the tent of David. Amos 9.11, the Old Testament, Amos prophesied, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, the same scripture is prophesied about the New Testament church in Acts 15, 16. It says, afterwards, I will return. I will set up David's fallen tent again. I will restore its ruined places again. I will set it up again. You need to know that the way we worship in the church today came from the tabernacle of David. So the the worship of, of pianos and songs and trumpets and all those kind of things, they all came from this portion of Scripture. God said, I'm going to restore it. Now look at it in the message. After this, I'm coming back. 
I'll rebuild David's ruined tent. I'll put all the pieces together again. I'll make it uh, look like new. Why? Here's verse 17. Listen. So outsiders who seek him will find. So they'll have a place to come to. All the pagan peoples included in what I'm doing. It's no afterthought. He's always known he would do this. So God says, I'm going to rebuild this tabernacle of David. All the other ones are not as important to me as this one, and I'm going to rebuild it and make it well known to all the earth. So how's God going to restore this tent? I mean, there's no more ark. There's no more literal David's tent. So how's he going to do it? Here's how he does it. It's through people who are believers who are literally spiritual tents. That's how he does it. So here's the application. I'm going to give you three applications. Number one, spiritual definition of a tent, a temple, a place to live, a place where we, where we dwell, and God's presence dwells together with us. So it's spirit to spirit, Holy Spirit with my spirit, your spirit, living together in my uh, body. With this definition, you can see our bodies, souls, and spirits is where God wants to dwell. Now, when we give our lives to Jesus, he comes in and awakens our spirits because it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He comes into our spirits, our hearts. And then through the Holy Spirit, he wants to enlarge us by moving into our souls, which is renewing our mind, will, and emotions. And then once those start getting removed and we start renewed and we start thinking differently, we make good decisions with our physical bodies. Here's the second application. You and I were created to be carriers of God's presence. In other words, our earthly tents were never meant to exist for us, but it is a dwelling place where God was meant to dwell and others to be drawn to your life because of the presence of God that dwells in you. Look at these verses. I want you to get a picture of this so that you'll never forget. You are much more than walking in and doing routine stuff. You bring the presence of God and you make the difference in your worship of whether God is visible, manifested visibly, physically over other people's lives. 2 Timothy 1.14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So he lives within you. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So again, we are carriers of Christ's presence in our lives, and the more we get to know him, the greater enlargement comes in our bodies, souls, and spirits. Colossians 1.27, for God wanted them to know that the riches uh, and, the, and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. That means non-Jews. And this is the secret. Listen to what the secret is. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now you know the rest of this 
because the one in you is greater than the one in the world. In other words, you have the power to overcome every sin that comes against your life because the Holy One lives inside you. Hebrews 3, 6. But but Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Now, here's what you need to see. When David enlarged God's house in a sense that everybody could see it, everybody could come and worship, you need to know as we enlarge our house, this is a tent here. And all of us together, when we're worshiping and, and, and giving God praise and telling him how awesome he is, you are beginning to open a manifested presence of God that comes out of your life. And when people walk in here that don't know Christ, they say there's something different. I can't put my finger on it, but something's happening because of Christ in you that comes out when you worship. All right, which brings us to the last point here. The last point is this. We were made or created to be worshipers. The word worship means to make someone or something big in a person's life. It means you can worship a car or a house or your bank account or whatever, but it means to magnify the Lord in this case. It also means to bow low and kiss the face of the one you love. So every time we come together and we say, we're going to worship God, and every day when you wake up, you should say, God, I want to make you big in my life. God, I bow down before you, and I want to kiss your face today. Now, the devil's long to steal the worship you and I were created for, and this is what the devil offered Jesus for his worship. In Luke chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. How many have ever heard make a deal with the devil? You make a deal with the devil, he can give you all sorts of things, material things. Then he says, I will give it all to you. Why? If you will worship me. He's always wanted to worship. Sure, God, or sure, devil, I'll give you this if you'll give me that. You just made him the God of your life. But this is what Jesus told the devil. Verse 8. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You were created to serve God and God only and worship him. Look at Mark 12, 29 through 30. The most important thing is this. This is attorney. What's the most important thing? And Jesus said, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, this word heart in the Greek means the very center of who you are, the essence of your being. When you give your life to Christ, that's where he comes. Your soul is your passion and your emotions. So to worship God is emotional. There should be emotions involved in it. There should be some passion brought to the table. But it doesn't mean to check your mind at the door. It means that you bring your intellect with you. So he wants your emotions, he wants your passions, and he wants your intellect involved as well because you want to be thinking about who you're worshiping. So we bring our intellect, we bring our passion, and then we bring our strength, which is our body. So as you study scripture, uh, study worship out in scripture, and, and you see that in the Psalms and the New Testament, God loves it when we use our bodies to worship him. I want you to hear this. Because some of you are way too shy. 
only in church, all right? But he says, clap your hands. He says, shout to God with a voice of triumph. He says, dance before him. And this is, this is my dancing right here. I'm hitch. I just stay right here. So I go. He says, sing a new song to him. And I do sing a new song in the shower with no one else around. Bowing before his holy presence, raising holy hands, or to extend the hand in praise. In other words, God loves it when we are passionate about him. When we are passionate about his love language. His love language is praise and worship. There are seven words for praise in the Hebrew, and we translate them all with the word praise. But they all have deeper meanings in worship. But one of those words is the word uh, yada. And uh, this word yada, it means to extend the hand in praise and worship. So, let me give you a couple samplings. Psalm 9-1, I will praise yada. I will extend my hands. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. Psalm 28-7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise, extend the hands, yada, a hymn. Now, can we just try this for a moment, you guys? Let's just, let's just get over our who cares, all right? And let's say God cares. So let's shoot our hands straight up in the air. Come on, everybody. Let's just shoot them up. Come on, you can do this. That's right. This is what we do. Now, all right, you can put your hands down. Thanks for waving at me, whatever. But it's simple. And yet it's profound because the Israelites knew about a priesthood that offered up sacrifices before the Lord. And, be, and before they offered it up, they lifted up holy hands before the Lord, before the sacrifice came. And they would wave before the Lord and they would give their offering. And David was saying through the Psalms, Lord, I lift my hands before you. I lift my strength before you. So Jesus gives us these four biblical expressions of how to worship God who lives inside of us. He wants worship from our hearts. He wants passion from our souls. He wants our intellect to be involved, and he wants our bodies to get involved as well. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Doug, you don't know me. I don't do that. I come to church, and I'm just I'm kind of shy. I don't believe that you are really made that way. I believe you were wired and built for this, and I'll tell you why. I'm mean, going to watch the Seahawks game tomorrow night. Okay, you can see that I have a church of very few football fans. But I can tell you this, those of us who like the Seahawks, when they score a touchdown, when they do something great, we're not going to go, oh, man, that was cool. No, hey, all right, we're going to be lifting our hands. Now, some of you go, no, I'm not that way, Pastor. Okay, let's take your kids. I've seen women who say, I'm just, you know, I'm from the frozen chosen church. I don't, I don't do that. Well, get your kid in a sport, and all of a sudden, come on, Johnny, come on, Susie, you can do this. All of a sudden, your personality changes. Your passion comes out. What you love will come out of you passionately. So, here's my thought. Lord, do you think we could have a church that would extend our hands and worship you with all of our hearts? See, I don't want a church who's so much Mr. and Mrs. Reverend as much as I want a church that worships God from our hearts, that worships God with passion. 
that worships God with our intellect and worships God with our strength. And I'll tell you why. This church wasn't birthed just in prayer. It was birthed in worship. I remember the day I walked into that house. There had been many. There was, the first time they met, there was like two to ten. But by the time I got there, there was 50. And as I got there, there was somebody playing on the keys. I think it was Josh. And as he played on the keys, he was playing this song that you and I are going to sing here in just a moment. And it was, it's a song called, what is it? When the worship, what's the name? Heart of Worship, right? Heart of Worship. But this is, and I remember this. I don't remember the title of it, but I know the song. Just be glad if I remember your name, you are, so, you, you are so special. If I don't remember your name, doesn't mean you're not special. Just not as special to me, all right? It's funny. I see Joan down here, and her, and her boyfriend's next to her, Kurt. So every time Kurt leaves, I go up to Joan, and I go, what's his name? She said, remember him as Kurt Russell. Oh, the movie star, Kurt Russell. I can get that. So I, I got Kurt Russell down, and then I just realized she must be Goldie Hawn, you know? So I don't have to remember Joan anymore there. Anyway, I remember walking into that meeting, and we were singing, When the Music Fades. And all is slipped away. When all is stripped away. I worship you. I'm not coming with a song. I'm coming with me. And I remember God just talking to me. Because you know how that song was written? Matt Redmond's church that he attended at the time, his pastor asked, what'd you bring today? What kind of worship did you bring to produce to make God look big? Or did you come thinking God was going to do something for you? See, every Sunday, every time we meet, you need to be thinking, what am I going to produce for God? Am I going to lift my hands? Am I going to clap? Am I going to give him my voice? Am I going to be passionate about the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And every time you do, you let his presence out. And unbelievers go, and this is the way it is. Some of today, some of you walked in here, I have no clue what this is about. But it's different. And I'm starting to like it. I don't know why exactly. But I know there's something different. And it's his presence. That's what it is. Let's stand. So today, I'm taking you back from a blast from the past. We're going to sing that song that we sang when I walked into that room. And I want you to just pretend with me that you're in a living room. And that drum cage is a fireplace. And above it, it says, welcome home. Let's worship. Longing just to breathe 
something that's worth that'll bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, than a song in itself. It's not what you have required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Cause it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Cause it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. Cause it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first it does just let me roll it to you, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown for my reward. Is bringing glory to you. I want to take your word and shine it all around. First, help me just. seek a crown for my reward is giving glory to you I'm coming back to lift our hands worship cause it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I made it it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Mm, yeah. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Cause it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made it. Cause it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. that makes church attractive it's not a building it's what's inside of it 
those of you who know Christ, it's his presence inside of you and he's just wanting to get out through your soul and your body. So when people get around your life, they're going, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. And what there is in you, I want. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you walked in here today and you're just saying, I, I don't know about this place. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ or at one time you did, but there's something drawing you back. And you know it's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. And the more you've sung today and the more you've watched, you begin to think, I feel something tugging at my heart. This God must be real and I want you to know it's his presence. So you need to know you were created for something so much bigger. And it all starts with a relationship with him. And if you don't know Jesus today, today's your day. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a minute and say, I know I, today's my day. I know I need to give my life to Christ. If that's you, just raise your hand up right now. Say, that's me. I don't want to leave here without him in my life. I see one, two, three, four, five. Anybody else? Raise them high so I can see them. Don't be embarrassed. Six. Any more? Seven. Eight. Nine. Any more? This is God. This is his presence. This is what he does. All right, let's all pray this prayer together. Say this with me. By faith. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give these folks a big hand. There's no greater miracle than salvation. I love healings, physical healings, but the greatest healing is the healing of a soul, of the healing of a spirit. Now let me just tell you your next steps. Your next step is to obey God by getting baptized in water. That's the first step of obedience. If you can't do that, the chances of you being successful are slim because you can't obey him in that next step. Make yourself public and let everybody know. I give my life to Christ. Then get into fresh start classes and into equip classes. Every head still bowed, every head closed. I want to pray for us as believers. Lord, I'm asking right now that you'll take this church. Take these hundreds of tents. Make them into a corporate setting where your presence is released every week not where we come and ask what can we receive but as we let you out of our lives it changes us and changes others because there's nothing like your presence may you bless each one now in Jesus name Amen if you need prayer we'll have some older workers up here we're going to sing this song one more time so elder workers if you can come on up if you need prayer for anything if you gave your life to Christ They'd love to meet you, give you some materials to help you get started on your walk. Let's sing it one more time as you're dismissed and get some prayer for anybody who needs prayer. God bless.